Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Chris Perdedian, and today I am so blessed to have Edna Keep, which she is a real estate investor and mentor with a portfolio of over $75 million, which is just around 800 doors. Edna, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I am blessed. I am so excited about this conversation. I already love your energy with your smile and just your presence in itself. So before diving into everything that we're going to talk about on the real estate side, on the coaching, mentoring side, tell me a bit more about yourself because I just gave a small introduction of who you are, but please tell us a bit more. Sure. So uh, I I always kind of started, I was a single mom at age 16, Chris, and uh, I was a C student in school. So a lot of people felt like I'd really limited myself at that point. And I probably wouldn't go very far. Um, but I always uh, like to let people know that uh, it all depends on what you decide to study. I still remember people telling me, and you have to learn to live within your means when I was earning minimum wage, right? And I'm going, yeah, well, if I want to learn something, I want to learn how to be rich. I don't want to learn how to be, live on minimum wage. You know what I mean? So uh, that, that's a good start. It, it starts with the way that you uh, think and, and the people that you decide to follow too, because, um, you know, you can go down that lane and learn how to clip coupons and stay in subsidized housing, which I was in, and, and all that kind of stuff if you choose, or you can choose a different path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And you know what? The way that you just explained that, I think, is something that every single real estate investor goes towards, kind of getting out of that mold of, let's call it the rat race. And I'm not saying this in any way to diminish any type of lifestyle. I'm talking about people that just want to be different. Like you were told of, Hey, don't live beyond your means and all that. And you're like, wait a minute, I see myself doing different things. Now, when did that process happen to you? And how did you go about it? Like, when did this aspect happen? When was your first real estate deal? When was it you made your first million? How did this whole arc happen that right now, like mentioned in the previous, in the beginning of the show, that you have a portfolio of over 75 million uh, in real estate holdings? Yeah. Well, you know, um, it started incrementally because I, I couldn't think really big. I didn't didn't know anybody that invested in real estate, but I had a cousin that was in finances and all I knew is he was rich. And I thought, OK, well, maybe I'll just learn something about finances. And uh, I, I ended up answering an ad to uh, join a company called Primerica, which is like a network marketing financial services company. And that's how I got my start. And I had to start on a part-time basis, which they offered. They don't all because I had a child to support, right? I couldn't just give up one and go to another. And um, 
then that was kind of my first foray into making decent money. You know, my, uh, I was working as an office administrator before that, making about 45,000 a year. And uh, I was doing the, the financial services stuff on the side. And then I went full time. And my manager had told me, he said, you know, you don't have to earn as much money self-employed as a self-employed person as you do as an employee, because you don't have all those same deductions. Um, so he said, so I had earned 26,000 in my part-time. And he said, even if you did that again, that'd be like having a salary. And uh, so my first year full-time as a financial advisor, I made 67,000. The second year made 187,000. And you know what? I kn- That's when I knew that I had something that, mm-hmm. that I finally, you know, in my mind made it because my, my goal is to make a hundred thousand a year. Like if I can, oh, from somebody who's making like 14, 15,000, if I can make a hundred, who would ever need more than that? Right. That was <laughs> the way that I thought. <laughs> I'm laughing because Edna, I don't know if that resonates with other people, but that was very much my thought pattern when I was a young gentleman. And I had that same ideology, especially coming from an immigrant background. And granted, we were always uh, middle class, but that $100,000 was big in our mind. And I don't know about you, Edna, but the second that I made it in my early 20s, I realized that, wait a minute, it really isn't that much. And because your lifestyle goes a certain way and your expenses go a certain way. And I'm not even talking about spending on stupid stuff. I'm just talking about if you're running a business, there's expenses and overhead with that. So what happened when that moment hit for you? Did you realize, oh, wait a minute, I thought 100,000 was X amount and wait a minute, I need so much more. How did you balance that? How did you juggle that reality? Well, you know, going from 67 to 187 in one year was huge for me. And so I kind of stagnated around that part for a long time because, Chris, I, I felt like I've already earned more than I ever even thought possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, and I kind of went up and down. But, you know, in 1999 is when I had a pivotal moment and I started uh, working with a coach. Uh, are you familiar with Dan Sullivan? He wrote the book. Who yes. Yeah. Yes. So he was my first coach as a financial advisor. And uh, he then took my income from there to over 300,000 because just certain things that he taught about focusing on your top clients and, and, you know, all this different kind of stuff. And so working with him was very, very pivotal. And I worked with him for three years, brought my income up. And then again, felt like I was kind of stuck at that 250 to 300,000 a year mark. And that's when I was introduced to real estate. So um, we we attended a a three-hour evening. And then we attended a three-day weekend. And then uh, at the end of the weekend, we signed up for like a year-long course with, you know, it was like five different classes where you went for three-day weekends and traveled like Florida and Toronto and Vancouver and all over the place. Um, and and we we got thrown right into it. We loved it. And, um, and within our first 18 months, Chris, we owned 50 doors with the last purchase being a multifamily uh, property. And... <sighs> I still remember the first time I was introduced to like, like I'd been introduced to it in the classes, but not physically out in on the, in the field sort of thing. And I was sitting with the realtor and telling him, yeah, we bought 20 houses or 22 houses last year or whatever. We want to add 20 more this year. He said, Edna, why didn't you just buy a multifamily? And I went, Oh, I can't. I don't own enough houses. You know, I don't even know where they came from. Maybe played Monopoly too much as a kid, you know? And um, and uh, so, th- so then he said, no, you could. And he kind of went on to explain it to me. And um, 
uh, before I left his office that day, I had a 24 unit that I made an offer on because I said to him, well, what do you have? And he said, well, I'm just listing, <laughs> which is probably what can, you know, made him think to tell me about it even because he knew we we're focused on houses. And um, and in a couple of days, we had it accepted. And, and again, that was another big pivotal moment because um, going from 22 to uh, 50 doors or whatever it was in that time frame. It was like, wow. Like we we're thinking when we first signed up, we thought 50 doors, I don't know, five years, 10 years. Like that's what we said to our coach. Like, does that, is that realistic? Like we didn't even know. And so when we hit it in 18 months, we knew there was something. And um, we'd also hit our first 5,000 month in cash flow increased our net worth by about 800,000 in that time frame. And that's when I really knew I had had something. And that's when I sold my financial planning practice. So two years in from being introduced to real estate, I sold my practice, which at the time was unheard of. So I got absolutely top dollar for it. Nobody was doing that. I was told again, I was just crazy to be even thinking about it doing something like that, right? Edna, I love your energy. We are so the same person in different bodies. <laughs> Everything you're saying is spot on. And there's a lot of things we're going to talk about about real estate, which I actually have a background as well. So we're going to dive into that and really unpack it for our listeners and our community over here. But before doing so, first and foremost, you mentioned uh, uh, Daniel Sullivan, which he has a phenomenal book that just came out, uh, Who Not How, which I highly recommend to the listeners, which is the ideology of not figuring out how to do it, but who you could delegate it to. And I want you to talk about that coaching uh, ideology and moment within your life, because obviously I'm a peak performance business and life coach, and I have high-end C-suite executives that I coach on a daily basis. But for me, my life switched and turned completely when I hired my first coach. And now I'm blessed enough to have eight coaches and mentors. So talk to me about, about that moment. How did you find your first coach? And how did it really not only change your life financially to bringing you from 67K to 180 and then to 50 and so on, what else happened that really uh, moved you towards the right direction? And you suggest coaching to people that are interested in potentially diving into getting coaching. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we were at a conference and we, our small company had been brought out by a larger company. And so we, they took us all to Scottsdale, Arizona, where we got to hang out with these people making a million dollars a year plus, which was a huge upside for me. Like I was making like just over a hundred when I, when I first mm-hmm. met my first coach and it was like, wow. Like, and, and one of the things that uh, they asked from stage was how many people here have a coach. And I looked around and here it's all these big producers who we've been introduced to because they wanted us to hang out with them. Right. And I'm going, okay, I'm hiring a coach. Like before I left that, before I left that weekend, I already hired one. I found out who they were working with and, and where that was going. And then it was a stretch for me at the time because it was 8,000. Uh, and, and, and I, th- I think it was us even, I can't even remember. Plus I had to travel to Toronto every quarter, which was another, you know, grand each time I went and, and all this kind of stuff. So it was a big stretch for me, but again, best money. I ever spent because I got to hang around with a bunch of other people that were making that kind of money. And, 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 and his program was very much about maximizing what you, what you had. He talked about free days, focus days and buffer days. And so you planted your free days first, then you planted your focus days, uh, which is the money producing days. And then your buffer days, which is the stuff that, you know, yeah, admin and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, 
And then, and then concentrating on your biggest clients. That was the other one that he really, you know, I think at, at that time I, I built my own book, but I'd also uh, inherited some clients from people that retired. So I was actually over 600 clients, which was really difficult. Oh. Lots of them were really small. So I cut off the bottom 300, which was one of the first things he taught us. And my income made a big jump that year, just, just doing that. Cause then you know, I could focus and spend the time with the ones I could earn money from. I love that. So essentially you niche down, you found out what is a clientele you want to work with because the reality is only 20% of that clientele was giving you 80% of your salary. So by cutting off that 80% of negative energy, and there's nothing bad with it, but an energy that you didn't want to work with opened up so much more time for you to work on certain things. Now let's go into the real estate side of things. First question that I have, who and what was that seminar? Because I've been to several seminars like that. I'm pretty much aware of them. I'm really interested to find out what that first one was for you. And then we'll go into the ideology of how you do your uh, real estate investing towards, are you right now in apartment syndication? Did you start in doing some sweat equity, just selling contracts, so on and so forth. So let's dive into that. Sure. So we were introduced, actually it was Russ Whitney. And I don't know if you remember him because uh, he eventually, uh, he, he didn't sell the company, which is what I thought, but Robert Kiyosaki became the face of the company okay. and, uh, and he stepped back. But I, I remember getting all the books and the audios and all this, like with Russ's face on it. And, and he'd done all these fantastic things, built this education company. Um, but so even though we were introduced through Russ Whitney, it was really uh, the Kiyosaki group that mm-hmm. that was did all the training for us. We were inducted into Robert Kiyosaki's Hall of Fame in uh, within that 18 months for all we'd done. We'd done a bunch of different wow. strategies, raised capital, uh, bought our first apartment building, kind of converted it, all this kind of stuff within the first 18 months. So uh, yeah, so that was basically the group that we did our training through. That makes perfect sense. So Tell me, how was your structure in the beginning when you started? What was the investments that you, you, you were doing? I do know that most probably you didn't invest your own money back then. You probably had investors, so on and so forth. And what is the portfolio that you're dealing with right now? So how do you, where are we at from where we started to where we are right now? Sure. Well, the very first property we bought was actually a condo, Chris, because we were scared of everything. We were scared of tenants and toilets and roofs and furnaces, all that stuff. We kept thinking about everything that could go wrong, right? And um, and and the very first condo we bought, it's kind of a funny story, but our realtor takes us out. And he was a realtor that we bought our own personal house from. And our house at that time had increased in value almost a double in the last five years. So we took equity out of our own home to buy our first couple. But when he took us up to this building, which had been condo converted, he said, this building is just being condo converted and all these units, not all of them, but a bunch of the units are coming up for sale. And I said, oh, is that one for sale? And he, my daughter, my oldest daughter had just moved into that one, um, like maybe a month prior. And, and so when it came up for sale, I went, oh, okay, well, I'll take that one because I already know I got a good rent or I don't have to worry about somebody who's not going to pay their rent, right? And, um, and then a couple of weeks later, we ended up buying the next one right beside her as well, because she said, mom, those people have lived there for 17 years. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> so we bought the second, we bought two condos back to back. And, you know, within about a month, those uh, tenants left because they decided that they should buy. I think it educated them too much. <laughs> I was telling them that we we're going to buy and then go all out. And uh, sorry, I just saw somebody at my door there. I hope you can edit that out. 
Oh, we'll just um, take a little step. Yeah, go for it. And then uh, uh, we, and then our, our next purchase. So after that, so we they they moved on, bought their own place, but we bought got another tenant. It wasn't as hard as we thought it was, so we got a good tenant. And then our third purchase, which was kind of uh, more creative for us, because my favorite class I took was creative finance, because I knew that if we were going to grow in any way we would have to use other people's money. Yes. So our third one was a up-down duplex. It was in an older neighborhood, but it, it had just been fixed up and made into a, a legal uh, up-down suite. So two bedrooms up, one down. One down. And um, we we bought that. And uh, we ended up getting vendor financing on it for the full down payment, which came to us at close. We were able to take our deposit money out. And, and then we paid her... Uh, an interest payment over the next uh, three years. And then we finally, then we fully paid her out, but we still own that house today. Um, But you know, the first five years or so, like we were in a really great market. We probably cash flowed that tiny little house, which we paid 160,000 for over a thousand dollars a month. And, you know, we, we maybe overpaid for it a little bit, but I always tell people, you know, it's not necessarily saving two or three thousand dollars on the buy. I mean, we made that back in our first three months of owning that. Some people though will fight over that very last dollar. I'm not paying that. You got to give it to me for this, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And we paid it and and got full financing. So that was our first house with no money down, and uh, that kind of started everything for us. I love that and. Truly, truly great advice. And last part, and uh, like I mentioned, I'm actually five years, uh, I had real estate background as a broker. And that last part that you said, a lot of people would, you know, go negotiate for $1,000, $2,000, even $5,000 on a property that's worth 400, 500. And we're not even talking about a percent of the value here. So you have to be aware as an investor, what are we actually pulling, you know, our, our negotiation power for now granted if you're buying it and you want to flip it right away maybe the number that you buy has to be more uh, eloquently approached but if you are thinking about holding it or renovating it so on and so forth uh, you have a bit more lead room 100 percent and uh, in this end now with everything that you're doing right now with all of the doors that you're managing and so on and so forth so how do you do most of your investing right now do you look for flips are you looking for multi, uh, you know, multifamily units? Are you looking for big complexes? How do you do so? And where's the target that you go and invest most of your real estate? Is it in the United States? Is it a certain area? Is it in Saskatoon where you're from? You know, when we started, Chris, it was in Saskatchewan because we had looked at the U.S. Uh, back in 08, 09, when you guys were kind of having your fire when the financial crisis was happening. Um, are you, where are you from, Chris? I'm actually from Montreal. I'm a Canadian oh, brother of yours. Not you guys, but the, but the Americans. They were exactly. having a big crisis. And we went there thinking, you know, we could take advantage of it. But we couldn't get anything because um, if you didn't have cash, you couldn't get financing. Mm-hmm. So we ended up coming back home to Saskatchewan. We bought most of our properties then uh, through in Saskatchewan then. But our biggest strategy was finding undervalued properties. You know, remember I said that our market had went, our, our personal house had almost doubled from 2002, 2007. Well, uh, apartment buildings too had done that. So um, people were selling left, right, and center thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to sell at the height of the market. But you know, there was still so much room for growth. Yeah. Um, the, that first apartment building that we bought, we paid 75000 a door for it. And uh, the, the rents were $425 on average per unit when the market rents were like 800 So as soon as we took possession, we increased the rents, we kind of converted some of them, all that kind of stuff. But 
that our biggest strategy was finding buildings that needed work. And lots of people, you know, they had their buildings paid off and they just used it to live on. So they didn't always put a lot of money back in to make them nice. So we increased the value by making them back to being nicer and also increase the rent. So we we did a lot of BRRR strategy. So we refinanced and kept them as opposed to uh, flip. I, I, I really believe that long-term wealth is built in holding, not in flipping. If yeah. you're flipping, you're just giving yourself another job because it, it is a full-time job if you get yeah. into flipping. Um, and we we didn't want to do that. We wanted to hold everything long-term for wealth. Um, and uh, But that was our favorite strategy because we had built in, we could get our investors' capital paid back quickly. Our first 400 or so doors we did with 20 investors. They just kept reinvesting with us, reinvesting with us, reinvesting. And then the most recent strategy, same strategy, but we moved back into the U.S. So we bought 178 doors in the spring in Memphis, Tennessee. Workforce housing, uh, un- very, very undervalued because I think some doctors owned it and just hadn't stayed on top of things. They, I think, they took to heart that it was a passive investment. It's not, and they, you know, didn't look after their property managers. And anyway, we ended up. Um, getting it for twenty one six hundred a door, probably put in about sixteen thousand, and then our after repair value should be between fifty five and sixty. We thought wow. when we first bought, you know, we could get the rents up to six hundred. We're getting up to eight hundred already, just people moving in as we're getting the units renovated. Yes. So uh, still, the, the best strategy for us has been that BR. But in most cases, Chris, in in, in uh, Saskatchewan, we bought we bought properties that were already full, like they weren't vacant, they were yeah. full, um, because we needed to get the financing in place, right? Then we then we just you know move people out, move people in, or fix it up, move new people in, increase the rents, da da da. So it would take us a certain time time period to have that happen. I think the fastest we were able to turn a twenty four unit around that was fully occupied when we bought it was eighteen months. Oh wow, that's actually pretty fast though. It's not bad at all. Eighteen we months of use. Yeah, we, we did. We, you know, sometimes some of the people that didn't want to move, they were okay with paying the increased rent. We just moved them to a different uh, suite, and then we did their suite. And you know, the one thing that we have in Saskatchewan that you guys we don't have rent control, so we could move rents from eight hundred to twelve hundred and not think twice of it, right? Oh wow. I did not know that because obviously in the province that I'm from, Quebec, there's a lot of rent control, a lot. And that's it does bring some uh, hurdles for investors in the, in this neck of the woods, but obviously the tenants are protected in a certain way. But yeah, that is very interesting. So Edna, with all this and you having this huge portfolio, how big is your team managing this? Do you do any of the management or you give it to a third party to take care of that? Obviously the way you were talking for, it was like more in the beginning, but now in the position that you are, do you outsource that? Do you have a full team? Is this your full-time job or you're kind of sitting down and enjoying the amazing uh, work that you put into play? Well, uh, we I, I consider myself now a full-time coach and trainer. That's and cool. that's what I spend my days doing because I have managing partners in most cases where, because over and above having property manager, I believe you should have a managing partner because a managing partner's mm-hmm. got skin in the game. They they only win if everybody wins. So we've always went the managing partner. Yeah, we own less a percentage of a building. Like we might own 25, 30% of a building as opposed to 50, but that's freed me up yeah. to do what I like to do, which initially was raise the capital, meet with the investors, find the deals. I love finding deals, but I don't like managing the deals after 
yeah. after they've been optimized. It's like, okay, that's boring. Somebody else has to step in and do that. I like the initial part of it. So now when I work as a coach and trainer, I get all that satisfaction from students because I get to help them, you know, buy their buildings and get them optimized. And then they own them and I don't have to think about them anymore, uh-huh. you know, but I, I still get that satisfaction of being part of it, the negotiating, the getting the vendor financing, putting the proper financing in place, getting a great cash flowing building, and then, uh, and then them owning it long-term. I love it. Now you just mentioned something I want to highlight for our listeners and our viewers to really hone in on. As an entrepreneur, it's really important to understand what you truly like and what your strengths are. And that's what you exactly did. You're like, you know what? I like researching. I like sitting down with the investors, but after that, I don't like managing. So let me give a piece of the pie to somebody else. And it alleviates my work. Because even if you would have kept it being like, you know what? I'm giving out, let's say 25% of the equity. And that's a lot of money. But in fact, that 25% is that same example of you gave in the beginning when you took out those 300 low paying customers that you had in your financing firm. That's an energy that you're wasting, even though it's bringing money by you doing something different that you love, like you're mentioning the coaching and mentoring, which we're going to talk about in a second, is going to be so much more valuable in the long run, which I just see through your energy and your vitality, the way you're talking and your passion through what you're saying right now. And let's talk about a couple of questions here before I kind of let you go, because I want to be respectful for your time. Let's talk about the coaching and mentoring side of things. What do you do? Do you have like a coaching package? Do you teach people how to flip real estate? How do you go about that? Well, I do have a coaching package. It's called 90 Days to 5K. And the premise there is uh, I can teach you the strategy in 90 days to get into multifamily with other people's money. That's our our whole shtick. That's all we do. Uh, Now, owning the property might be a BRR, long-term buy and hold, might be turnkey, but it's meant designed for you to keep that property and to build up that cash flow. Because uh, have you ever played Robert Kiyosaki's game, Cash Flow 101? Yes. I'm very much aware of all of his stuff. Yes. When, when, uh, and his, his key, and I love this, I adopted this as soon as I quit being a financial advisor. It's not about building this great big nest egg. It's about getting your recurring income to be more than your day-to-day expenses. Yes. And in that game, when you play it, you flip that board over and you're, you're now out of the rat race. Then all of a sudden you get a deal that'll pay you 5,000, another deal that'll pay you 20, and this one 10, like you can buy businesses on the other side, right? And I think that that is key for most people. If you can get your day-to-day expenses, and in real life, it's the same as that board game, doctor and lawyer is harder to get out of the rat race than a janitor and a secretary, you know, because they're used to having higher expenses. If you can get out of the rat race, then all of a sudden, doors start to open for you that you did not even have the time or wherewithal to think about, right? Mm -hmm. So that's my goal is to get people to their first 5,000 a month as quick as quick as possible. Most of my students hit it between 12 and 18 months, get themselves out of the rat race, or at least the start of it. Some of them are higher income earners, so it takes a little bit longer. Then they are freed up to think like a real business owner and really start to get into making money. I love that. I love that. So it's all about, and, and I, I believe that being around like-minded people is so important. So I do it in a group group atmosphere and the one-on-one coaching comes when they're working on a live deal because the live deal is where I I thrive. Right. And I can help people get through the, the steps to make it happen. 
Edna, I love that. And I'm going to ask you two last questions over here as this is the peak performance greatness show. And my whole brand towards the peaking speaking is everything about high performance and peak performance. And obviously you're successful from the moment that you started your financial firm, your mindset, your approach to now having a successful real estate investing business, as well as a coaching uh, side of things. What are some of the methodologies, the habits, the rituals that you do on a daily basis to really be a peak performing individual every single day? Well, one thing I'm going to point out, Chris, is, and this is a plug for your business too, uh, I have a stat on my desk and I, I don't have it memorized, so I'm going to read it to you. So Go for it. People who earn less than 100000 a year, zero coaches. Mm-hmm. People who earn 100000 to 250000 a year, one coach lived it. That's where I was when I had what my one coach. Two hundred fifty to five hundred thousand a year generally have two coaches. If you're in a million dollars or more a year, you generally have four or five coaches. That's cool. And that is is the key to getting better. How many coaches do you have, Chris? I have eight coaches and mentors. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I have four, four right now. Yeah. Sometimes I have more, sometimes less, just depending on what I'm working on. And that is what makes all the difference in the really world does. because a coach can see the future you and not, and, and look bypass the existing you. And, and, and I'm a big believer in hiring coaches who've done what I want to learn, yes. you know? Uh, I want to learn to master my mindset. I want to learn to master spirituality. I want to learn to master leveraging a business. Those are the kind of things I like to learn. I don't need a cheerleader coach. You know, there's lots of them out there like that. Oh, I can coach you on anything. Well, you can, but I need the knowledge that goes yes. with the coaching. So that that's the kind of coach I've used over the years, uh, coaches. And uh, it it makes the biggest difference. I love that. I have actually never heard of that stat. So please send that over to me. Okay. Please send that over to me because when you said that, I'm like, it's so true. It really is true. And when I was saying personally, I have eight coaches and mentors. I have the way I kind of look at it is almost like a football team. I have my head coach, which he's been following me for three plus years, four plus years at this point. And I have specific coaches for every single activity that I do. So I have my storytelling coach. I have a real estate coach. I have a uh, fitness coach, a dietitian. I have my spiritual coach. So every single aspect, you need that expertise. I 100% believe what you just said. Thank you for sharing that. Definitely some great wisdom and some insight there. Uh, my staff made for me because please uh, do. I, I love it so much. Yeah. Please do. And last question I have, Edna, for you is where is the best place for our community to connect with you, to get in touch with you, to potentially get coached by you if they're interested to start a real estate investing business and so on? The best place is on my website, ednakeep.com. Because okay. uh, I've got I got a bunch of videos on there to get a chance to get to know me. And if it's something that uh, they think that they want to pursue, then I invite them to reach out and book a strategy call with uh, one of my team members. And then uh, take it from there. Because uh, yeah, it's, it's my passion in life is to help people uh, really get out of the rat race. And, and uh, I think the quickest and fastest way to do that is through real estate. Edna, I love this conversation. And more than that, I thoroughly loved your passion and your energy. It shows that you're so involved and in love with what you do. And that's actually one of my purposes in life to really optimize people want the prompt to make them live in their greatness. And I'm watching somebody, I'm speaking to somebody that's living in their greatness and you're 
helping other people live in their greatness through the vehicle of real estate, which I truly believe still to this day, Bitcoins, NFTs, X, Y, and Z, which is all great stuff, stock market, all great stuff. But the greatest vehicle to make wealth, my personal opinion, is real estate. And for the moment, I think will always be real estate unless something else comes up in the future. But for the moment, 100%, I will always put my money in real estate if you want to create massive wealth for your family and beyond. So Adnan, thank you very much for being on the show. It was a true pleasure. My pleasure, Chris. I really enjoyed our conversation. Have a great day. You too. Bye now. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or intrapreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag PeakPerformanceGreatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.